today we carry on in that uh, series, as I said, and we have a look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. I'll read it in the New International Version and just um, also in the message as a paraphrase. Jesus instructing the people and saying, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And then you're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. Isn't that profound? You're blessed when you care for somebody else. And at the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. I think we live in a day and age where it's quite easy to become cynical and merciless. It's easy to become nasty. And we live in this world that we can become calloused and, and indifferent. As you read statistics of what's going on in the world, people attacking one another, news of tragedies, violent acts and people suffering, you almost have to have this thick skin to be able to cope, a thick skin to be able to cope. And as we try and move beyond that thick skin, our hearts can easily become hard. And we put on these barriers around us in order to cope. But Jesus says that blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That Greek word, therefore, merciful, eleimon, means blessed are the, those who, who can show some sort of compassion. And, and, and the word compassion has got to do with putting yourself in the other person's shoes. And he says, blessed are those who are compassionate. This Greek word, and I'm glad the first two rows in front of me are, are empty, it's the Greek word, splachthinizome. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's when you've got at the corner of a door and this plank is joined in with this plank and they actually fit in together. Splachthinizome. <laughs> and so when, when he's saying, blessed are those who are compassionate, who are able to show pity on somebody else and are able to show this divine grace. Because if it's not a divine grace, it's going to be really hard to be merciful and to show compassion to those you come into contact with. We know Paul writes in, in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, we all know that. But what is Paul saying here? To be kind. Uh, that word uh, uh, means to, to deposit gold in somebody else's life. Wow. To deposit gold in somebody else's life. And as you do that, you, you show this compassion uh, because you move away from egocentric self to wanting to add value to the other person, to be useful for the other person. 
says ten, being ten, uh, tender-hearted, to, to, to be well-compassioned. Not to be kind of mediocre and go, well, no. To actually go out of your way to look for an opportunity of being compassionate. To having, uh, th that word means to having strong bowels. In other words, without being overly elaborate, to actually feel what somebody else feels. To deep down in your stomach. I don't know about you, but when you see something, even when, you, when you're hungry and you see something that's really disturbing, you know, you, you're moved and you don't, you're not hungry anymore. Because you moved uh, on the inside. And that's what, what Paul is saying. And he says, forgiving one another. That word forgiving has got its root word in the word grace, charizome. And, and it's actually saying to be kind, to be good, benevolent, and to be pardoning to one another. And so if you put that all together, be kind to one another, tender heart to forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So the obvious question we need to ask ourselves is, do you and I find it difficult to follow such a command? Well, folk, I struggle with that. Because it's quite a tough thing to do. And it's easy to get hard-hearted because of the things that we deal with. And to be merciless rather than merciful. Jesus knew the value of mercy, that it brings a blessing to all when it's put into practice. If you look at that next slide, you'll see, or two slides down, you'll see uh, another one. You'll see uh, this old lady struggling. Uh, and uh, when you see that old lady struggling, you might get people who will walk straight past her and, and ignore her. In fact, some will even say to her, Grandma, can you hurry up, please? When we see that this is a great opportunity of helping somebody, of being compassionate because she's old and, and she's uh, struggling. thought I'd put another one there of one thing that I really struggle with. It's not so much road rage as in, you know, toward others, but it's certainly my own car. And thank God some people can't hear me speaking Greek to them, you know, or them understanding. But why would somebody drive in the right-hand lane where they can actually be in the left lane when I can overtake them? What's wrong with them? What on earth, you know, Surely they don't belong on the road. Why can't, if the speed limit is 60, why can't they just go 65? You know, when I got my driver's license, it's as if uh, w w what came with that was this, this license to have road rage. Everybody else except me are morons on the road. And I'm able to justify that. And it's quite embarrassing in front of my wife and son. I've never spoken so much Greek in the traffic as I've, and it's not biblical Greek, please. <laughs> <laughs> and it goes with taking your hands off the steering wheel. It's, it's not good for it. Preparing this message was quite rude. <laughs> it, it, it touched deep down because of my behavior on the road. 
don't see me here next week, you'll know why I've been locked up. But if we're honest with ourselves, there are people that get under our skin and they begin to irritate us. Although we don't want them to get under our skin, they do in some way. And we often become hard toward them. Instead of showing compassion to them and being merciful, we're actually vindictive and we want to try and crush them and hurt them. And our hearts become hard. See, when we're not, when we don't show mercy, it's hard for mercy to be shown toward us. We know Jesus said in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, for if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive them, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. That word forgive, afimi, means uh, to let go, to disregard, to leave, to send away. In other words, the, the harm that's been dealt you and set you back, to actually realize that that this person who harmed you was not in a good place and to try and work through that to try and let it go it's actually the, 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 the word that means to divorce from it to let that go and depart from it for if you forgive then he says forgive somebody else their transgressions baraptoma their misdeeds, their falling short of the mark. In other words, kind of their harm toward you, that concept there. If you're able to do that, then the Father, Father will forgive you your shortcomings. James chapter 2 verse 13 says, For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That word judgment, the crisis, and we might get the English word crisis from it, means um, the this, this selection of some and, and a selection of others, and we pass a sentence on some. So I, I act as if I'm God, if you like. Now, folk, you know, there are two words for, for judgment. Uh, the one is that we are supposed to do to, to realize what's, uh, what's the difference between good and evil, and we are to hold on to the good. But this word here, crisis, means that we, we, we actually separate those are good, those are good people, those are bad people, and as we judge that we, in this category, we pass a sentence on those others, and we are merciless. We show no mercy, and we we actually judge them as losers in God's economy. So how do we show <laughs> mercy? How do we uh, acquire the this, this spirit uh, to develop uh, a merciful spirit so we don't pass judgment? How do, we come, do, how do we become a little bit more tender? Because it means to unlearn a certain behavior and relearn a different kind of behavior. And we can often blame our past and justify the way we behave because of our past. 
It's because I'm so-and-so. It's because uh, that's the way I behave. But Jesus wants us to change. And so, a couple of points. Point number one, we need to observe through God's eyes. Observe through God's eyes. Normally when you uh, prepare a sermon and you have a passage, there are three main points, observation, interpretation, and then application. I thought I'd use those because, uh, you know, they're quite good for life as well. And so in this particular case, you observe through God's eyes. I think we're so busy in this day and age that we live in that we have uh, our own goals and, and projects to complete we see ourselves as quite busy people and, and we, we're working hard to accomplish those goals and uh, we neglect people and we see them as roadblocks or stumbling blocks, um, you know, and, and often stepping stones. They either fit into our plans and our purposes or they don't. If they don't, they're losers. But if we begin to see people from God's perspective, then it makes a difference. Because God loves every single one of us. Because every single one of us are created in His image. Despite our behavior. He loves that prisoner. He loves the winner. He loves the loser. He loves the, the ordinary person. He loves the extraordinary person. He loves the student and he loves the teacher. And he loves that person that increases our interest rates. And he loves... You know, the waitress, and he loves the checkout chick, and he loves all of us. He even loves very draining people that irritate us. But when we begin to see people the way God sees them, that's a different thing. If you've ever been to the airport, which I'm sure you have, or or to the train station, there are a myriad of different people, different cultures, different races, different backgrounds, different ways, the way they dress. And in that, you know, myriad of different people, God loves every single one of them. But this week, uh, it was as if I was a, you know, an expert you know, on, on passing judgment on, on that capsule that went down, that little Titan, you know, underwater capsule. How stupid is that man? Do he not use his marbles? You know, why, why on earth would they want to do that? Guess what I know about those kinds of things? Not zero, but minus one. But I was quick to point. My attitude had to change as I was preparing this sermon. Because each one of those people have dreams, have aspirations, they've got goals, they've got families. And each one is special to God. And so my prayer is that, that I will see people through God's eyes. So I can be more tender hearted and merciful and have this forgiving attitude. Despite what they've done. To observe through God's eyes. Secondly, to interpret with God's mercy. To interpret with God's mercy. In other words, to have uh, empathy. To empathize. To to put my 
feet in that other person's shoes and walk a mile with them before I point that finger. It's easy to pass judgment while on dry land. It's easy to pass judgment when I don't know what other people have gone through. Unless I've felt that pain myself and uh, suffered the loss that that person has gone through, unless I've been dealt that crushing blow, my attitude should be very different. If I think of people who are handicapped, unable to walk or stand, or unable to drive, or unable to, to take care of themselves, I think people who are unemployed, who, who are not able to pay their bills, people who feel neglected, people who perhaps are in the minority, people who, who struggle, it may be difficult for them to communicate. We think, well, you know, th those are, you know, there's not too many of those. Well, well people who are divorced and struggling through pain and and, and imagine being rejected by the one you love and the one that loves you and then being rejected after a while. Some who have been widowed or, or have lost a, a child or a spouse or a parent. Some people are going through cancer or Alzheimer's or, or dementia. You know, unless we begin to show a bit of mercy. So, well, there's not too many of those around. Well, something more common. Well, some people who are depressed. And are, and are full of despair. And they don't even know why. You know, something has happened to you and you, you understand, well, it's because I'm going, you know, this has happened to me. But, but some people are going through hard times and they don't even know why they're going through those hard times. They feel all alone and unloved, full of doubt and, and fear. Unless we're able to climb into their shoes, and feel what they feel, and be a little bit more tender-hearted in order to love, it's really, really difficult. Because only then can we show genuine mercy and genuine forgiveness. Because most people just want to be heard and understood. To be heard and to be understood. Richard Selzer in his book, Moral Lessons, uh, writes these moving lines. Uh, he's, he's a doctor who, who has actually operated on somebody and, and listen to what he writes. I stand by the bed where the young woman lies, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted in palsy, clownish. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one of the muscles of her mouth, has been severed. The surgeon had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh, I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut the little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and altogether they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me, private. Who are they? I ask myself. He and this wry mouth I have made, who gaze at and touch each other so generously, greedily. The woman speaks 
she says, will my mouth always be like this? Yes, I say, it will. It is because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent. But the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It is kind of cute. At once I know who he is, understand and lower my gaze. Unmindful, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth. And I'm so close. I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate to hers, to show that their kiss still works. Understanding and showing tender love. And friends, I want to suggest to you that there is no substitute for that. Because in that, we can show mercy. Because we've observed and we can interpret. Which leads me to my third and final point. As we do that, we begin to apply. And I want to say apply in God's strength. Apply in God's strength. Once we've observed through God's eyes and interpreted how God would see the situation, we begin to apply it in God's strength. And we begin to ask questions like, what has Christ done for me? And it's evident on the cross of Calvary. No wonder Paul exhorts us to be kind to one another and tender-hearted and, and forgiving. Why? Because Christ forgave us. How did Christ treat us? Well, through kindness, through tenderness, through mercy, through forgiveness. In Titus 3, 5 we read, He saved us not on the basis of deeds, of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by His Holy Spirit. He made us new, not because of how good we were, because we were dead in our transgressions, but because of his mercy. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved. God has always had time for us. Christ has always got time for us. Always there to listen to us. To forgive because of his love. And as we begin to show mercy, it will be because we have learned how to do that because of who Jesus Christ is. I was reading Job chapter 42, verse 10. And it's interesting, just before the end of the book, it says, after Job had prayed for his friends. In other words, those who had harmed him when he changed his attitude and started praying for his friends, so God changed his situation. I mean, you know, there's 42 chapters of the back and forth story. But right at the end of the book, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and made him twice as much as he had before. And, and so the, the heart attitude changed. so I think my family will be shocked 
if on the way home I'm calm <laughs> in the traffic. Dad, you okay? Don't ask him in case he changes. <laughs> I think our, our, our husbands and our wives and our children will be overjoyed. I think we'll be a church where people can come and feel comfortable and rest because they will find love and forgiveness and genuine acceptance. Mercy is applying what God has given us. Folks, we know the difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is God withholding from us what we do deserve. And when somebody has harmed us, it's us withholding that judgment against them. And instead of punishing them, we show them love, and that's called grace. Mercy, God withholding what we deserve, and grace, God giving what we don't deserve. Folks, that means that we take a risk. We take a risk. C.S. Lewis says it this way. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be certainly wrung and possible, possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. Not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. In other words, as you give of yourself, you will be dealt these blows. But that's part of life and growth. And in that process, he says we should not become bitter, hard, and unforgiving and have a sour spirit. But instead, to break that shell of hardness that we can often put around us. And to choose to love others and to choose to give of ourselves. So, we have lives that are characterized by showing mercy. So mercy can be shown to us. And others need mercy just as we do. Others need mercy, just as we do. Have a look at this next clip and see what happens here. This is um, September 2018, where a police lady shot uh, this gentleman in uh, his apartment. And uh, this is in the court case. It, it's, it's about two and a half minutes. Uh, have a look at it. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. 
say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did but I see I I personally want the best for you and I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone but I don't even want you to go to jail exactly what both of them would want you to do and the best would be give your life to Christ I'm not going to say anything else I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do again I love you as a person to forgive the person who shot your brother and is guilty and to wish the best for them is showing mercy. Friends, in a small cemetery of a, a parish churchyard in Olney, England is this gravestone with the inscription, John Newton, Clark, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was, by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. You may not remember his name, but you'll remember these words of this hymn. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. And as we close off the service by standing together and singing this hymn, I pray that God will allow us to look at others through his eyes and that we might be able to realize that amazing grace that changed us and that it's available every